0: Well today we begin a a four-week series called The Vow. My favorite part of a wedding ceremony is the exchange of vows. What I encourage, when I officiate weddings, I encourage the bride and groom to write their own personal vows separately and not share them until the ceremony that their to-be husband, to-be bride will hear. Their vows for the first time, fresh and anew. Vows are more than a declaration of love. Vows are a promise, a commitment. This is the husband I promise to be for you. This is the wife that I promise to be for you. And if kept, vows are kept, uh, they're a key to having a healthy, lasting marriage. The series is for those of you who are married. The series is those for you that hope to be married one day. But if you're, if you're older or even if you have said goodbye to your spouse as they've gone to heaven, I believe this series and the culture in which we live is helpful for you if you have a heart and a mind to mentor others to use this as a resource to share with your grandkids or those in your life that you can influence. And this series, I believe, could help um, refocus marriages, help prepare for a healthy marriage, but also to begin the process of restoring a broken or fraction, fractured marriage. Uh, for many generations, uh, girls have grown up and have dreamt of their future, and they dream about a perfect husband, a perfect wedding ceremony, you know, having children. And, and they've already, they have already come up with names for their children, you know, and they're in sixth grade. Uh, any women, that was you growing up? Any, um, come on now, come on, I, I see. Okay. That, that was a dream for many generations of many, many girls. Guys, on the other hand, had a different dream. Different dream. Many guys have dreamt, okay, I'm going to get married because I'm looking forward to having sex twice a day every day. And I will not ask any men to raise your hand... If that was your dream, but all I will say is keep dreaming, <laughs> but that will never happen. Different dreams. Sadly, uh, many millennials and those of the Z generation have a very lo- low um, opinion of marriage. Because all they've seen is um, life-crushing marriages, um, life-breaking Life-damaging marriages. They haven't seen healthy, life-giving, God-God honoring marriages. So they're avoiding it, or they have no desire to to get married. One of the reasons is that Satan has had a full-on attack on the institution of marriage for, for forever, but it's been intensified in our country, in our culture, the last number of decades. And Satan, because he is absolutely incapable of creating anything, he takes what God has created, whatever God has created, and in the concept of in the, the, the whole issue of, of marriage, Satan has twisted it, defamed it, devalued it, and has redefined it the way God created it. That's why many have marriages that are failing. And the reason why most marriages fail is that they are not spiritually prepared to invest into a God-honoring, life-giving, lasting marriage that honors God. So here's the question. Here's the question. I think it's a good question. Is a God-honoring life-giving, healthy marriage even possible today? Is a God-honoring, life-giving, you know, healthy marriage even possible today, in 2023 and beyond? I would say emphatically yes, absolutely yes, 100% yes, but not likely. Let's close in prayer. No, just kidding. I say yes, but not likely if you choose to walk the same path in marriage that millions in our country are walking. That is the definition of insanity, doing the same thing, repeating the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So the goal in this series, which if you're new to Grace Point, we… Pretty much every year have a marriage series because of the value of it, but also of what's going on in our culture. And if we, if, if we choose to approach marriage from God's perspective, God's Word's perspective, you will not take that well, <laughs> well-trodden path of marriage that's going to end in failure. You're going to choose God's approach, God's approach. So today is the vow, the first vow, it's the vow of priority, the vow of priority. Now, if you've been in the Grace Point for a while, some of the principles I will share today and in this series you've heard before, Um, but as all the good teachers in the room know, the first law of learning is repetition, repetition. You say it enough times, hopefully then it will stick. Now, I do want to give uh, props uh, to uh, Greg, Pastor Greg uh, Rochelle and also to an author by the name of Jimmy Evans who wrote a book years ago called Marriage on the Rock, capital R, meaning Jesus. And he talks about a number of vows. So I've taken some good resources and made them my own, but I want to give props to them. Here's a central point if you're taking notes today. So often, something bad doesn't ruin a marriage although we know that happens, but often something bad doesn't ruin a marriage, but something good becomes a higher priority than it should. Satan will use anything to ruin a marriage, and often he'll take something good and move it to a higher priority than it should. Turn to Mark chapter 12, if you would. Mark chapter 12. The the popular... Statement: The popular question in our culture today. It's on hallmark movies. It's on Disney movies. It's uh, parents ask this question. You, you ask. You've asked this question. Your friends have asked this question. Is um, uh, are you have you found the one? Have you found the one? Oh my goodness! I, I think I think I think he's the one. Oh, I think she is the one. Okay. That that's that's. That's been uh, the question, and uh, I, th- I believe it's time to try a new approach. I'm going to challenge you to s- search for your two, to prepare for your two, and to fall in love with your two. Because if, if, you, if you don't, here's the reason why. You won't be fulfilled. We have that on the screen. You won't be fulfilled in your life until you have Until you meet, know, and follow the one. The one. You're going to pursue all sorts of things, but your life will not be fulfilled until you meet, know, and follow the one, Jesus Christ. Make him the priority and your spouse the second priority. Mark chapter 12. This this is a perfect passage that helps us with this whole principle. Verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them, that's Jesus and others, debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, and there were hundreds in the Jewish law, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was a popular Jewish Hebrew sayings. Then he answers the question. Here it is. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind, with all of your strength. It goes right into this. And the second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. If we get the first commandment right, to love God with everything we got in all areas of our life, putting him number 1. And then we follow quickly behind that by other people in our life, life that we love them like we want to be loved. You put and Jesus put those together. There is no greater commandment than these. He put them together. You take this principle, this truth that Jesus stated, and you apply it to marriage, you will have a life-giving, God-honoring, healthy marriage. Putting God first. God first at all things. Now, in Colossians uh, chapter 1, it says this. He, that's Jesus, Jesus is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Jesus is before, he he is first over everything, even all of creation chapter one talks about. And in him, all things hold together. When we get Jesus in his proper position, and he is before all things in our life, it is amazing how Jesus is able to hold all things in our life together. That doesn't mean it won't be bumpy, doesn't mean there won't be challenges or or struggles. But with Jesus at the center and a first priority, it's amazing how he'll hold our life together, our family together, um, our relationships together, everything, because he is central to your life. Now it goes on to say in verse 18, He, Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. And the firstborn among all the dead. Why? Because he rose again. So that, so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. Now, I love how Paul writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So that he might have. Jesus has the power and the authority to just make him supreme in your life. But he lets us choose. We have a choice to make. We have a choice all the time, almost every day of every week. Are we gonna place Jesus in the supreme number one position? He's he's worthy of it. According to God the Father, he is the head of over everything. But he allows us to choose so that he might, if we choose, that he might have supremacy. In our life, in our relationships, in our career, but also in our marriage. Now, this is how this plays out. This plays out beyond church attendance. So if you're in the room or watching Faithfully Online, that's an important thing to place God first, that you're making his house a priority. Okay. But let me, let me go beyond um, checking the box and, and, and attending church. What it means to, to make God supreme, to make Jesus first place in your life, is that in every area of your life, you passionately follow and pursue Him. You bring Jesus into everything in your life, you, you bring Him into, into every decision uh, in, in your life, you bring Him to every corner of your life, and you pursue God as God, you are my, my one. And what this will do is it will produce fruit. All right. everything there's a cause and effect if we're going to sow we will reap whatever we plant we will reap that and if we pursue in every area of our life God first Jesus in their supreme position it will have a cause and effect there will be a sow and a reaping there will be fruit of that James I mean uh, uh, Galatians talks about that is the fruit of the spirit of God now have the sermon plan already for next year. Next spring, we're going to have a series called Juicy. What comes out when life squeezes you? Did this series over a decade ago. It's all, we're going to walk through every single one of the fruits of the Spirit. Juicy, what comes out when life squeezes you? And there's no area in life that squeezes us the most is in our homes. Right? But it's in our homes, in our workplace, uh, driving you know, around here with stupid drivers. Um, you know, When life squeezes you, something is going to come out. But if Jesus is center, Jesus is top priority, Jesus is everything, I'm doing everything, I'm going to follow Jesus. He's involved in everything, every area of my life. What will come out is that fruit, and that fruit will be a blessing to everyone around you. Love. Joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, right? Self-control. All of those things are in a rare commodity in our culture. Why? Because we are not following God. We have told God to leave us alone, and he, he has done what we've asked him to So all that we see in our culture, we don't see love, joy, peace, patience. We don't see the whole list of the fruit of the Spirit because we've relegated God to the outskirts of our culture. And we, as a culture, are reaping the consequences of it. But if we passionately pursue God, if you determine, I'm gonna put God first, I'm gonna follow Jesus, I'm gonna involve him in every area of my life, uh, you are actually gonna be a blessing In every relationship that you have. Now, if you are hoping to get married one day, here's this uh, point played out in your life. You need to make a vow, a promise that I will seek the one while preparing for my two. I will put Jesus first in every area of my life. I'm gonna keep him there, and it's almost a daily decision, uh, weekly, monthly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I will seek the one as I prepare for my two, as I prepare for my uh, two. Um, preparing part is I'm going to choose to be the person the person I'm longing for is looking for. I'm going to say that again. Some of you, I lost you there. All right? If you're preparing, you would love to get married one day, you're going to put God first, but then... While you're putting God in his one position, you are preparing to be the person the person you're longing for is looking for. And if they do not have Jesus as number one, you're probably not gonna be attracted to them or you shouldn't be attracted to them. But here's how that principle is played out in your life. Now, those of you who are already married, this is your vow, if you choose to to make it, your promise, you vow, you promise that God will be my one and my spouse will be my two. That God will be my one and my spouse will be my two. I'm going to show you the pyramid principle I show all the time in premarital counseling is that you're, you're here, your spouse is over here, and God's over here. And you should make it a priority for you, don't, don't look and point and nudge and elbow your spouse. Are you pursuing God? Are you growing in your faith. Again, not just coming to church, check the box, which is good, okay, you're making that a priority, but in your area of your uh, every area of your life, are you pursuing God? Now, here's what's powerful this is what's powerful is if both of you are pursuing God. You see, as you both pursue God, it's amazing how close you become. It, 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 this will happen. If, if, you're down, if you're down here and your spouse is growing, you are still have the same distance, you know, but, but they are pursuing God. But if you both pursue God, you guys get closer. You guys get closer. It's a powerful, powerful thing. But if you place your spouse number one, now that may look good on the surface, like, man, the most important thing in my life is my spouse. Now, that may sound good. But you are positioning your spouse to be what they were not designed to be. You you're, have this unwritten, kind of almost a subconscious uh, expectation that they will meet your needs, that they were not designed to meet. That's only for God. Only for God. So God will be my one, and my spouse will be my two Your two should not be your spouse. Your two should not be your hobby. Your two should not be your job. Your two should not be your friends. And if you're newlywed, your two should not be your parents. Okay? Your your parents. And that's hard, especially if, you know, if you are so close with your parents. One, you're fortunate, you're blessed to have a close relationship with your parents. But when you get married, things need to change. Things need to change. Okay, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning when God set up the marriage. All right, in Genesis chapter 2, God is speaking. He says, this is why, he's talking about them coming together, this is why a man, sh- man leaves his Father, mother, and then united to his wife. Now we're going to talk about this word next week, but this this word leaves means something. All right, in the Hebrew, a man leaves his father and mother. It means to loosen or relinquish. That doesn't mean drop them and have nothing to do with them. No, you got to start loosening that relationship, releasing releasing that. Uh, relationship that they are, they are not to be your two. If God's your one, they can't be your two. It needs to be your spouse. Now, I, I am old enough to, to remember a playground uh, tool, you know, on the playground, which I'm sure is completely outlawed today. It's called the monkey bars. Anybody remember the monkey bars? That you would, you know, you start here, and then you would reach, and then you would swing. Now, when you have, if you wanted to move and have progress, okay, you, you reached, and you got what, the next bar, but if you don't release the first bar, you're just kind of doing this. You're, you're not doing anything. You're not moving, you're not having progress. You have to loosen your grip and relinquish that bar so that you can swing forward. That's what that word mean, means in the, in the Hebrew. At every one of my, my, two, my three daughters, the two of them, uh, I did their, their wedding. I'm planning to do the third one in June. And I have done something on purpose to, to really to illustrate and picture this. When I walk my daughter down, down the aisle, my, well, my first aim is to not cry, because if I cry, that's all people are gonna remember and to get that focus off my daughter, all right? I walk them down, and then when the question's asked, who gives this woman to be married to this man, who's gonna steal her and change her name That's a big question. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Every time I'll say, her mother and I. And then I take her hand as he comes to get his girl, that used to be my girl, and I put her hand into his and I purposely step back. I don't have to step back, because they don't really have long trains anymore on the dresses, right? Why do I do that? To remind myself and to make a statement, I am no longer the number one man in her life. Her husband is, and I step back. And parents, when you don't step back, you make it hard for them to leave and relinquish and, and, and transition a normal, healthy transition. Now, I remember my, the first test when I was newlywed. We got married on the on the West Coast. Still finishing up college in, in Virginia, so we move out there. And about six months into our marriage, my mom comes out and visits. And so I haven't seen my mom in you know in six months or so. And dur- during my my during the day, I would I would I worked for a drywall company, and I remember the conflict in my mind. The tension in my mind driving my 19, I think, 68 or 67 Volkswagen bug. That's all we could afford. I'm driving that home thinking, my mom's gonna be here and Candy's gonna be here. Who do I greet first? Okay, I'm processing this in my mind. And sure enough, come into the, the a little apartment and my mom is right there and Candy's farther back, right here. And I strategically did this. Mom, good to see you. Walked right past my mom, kissed and hugged Candy. And then I kissed and hugged my mom. I was making a statement. But the number one girl in my life is my wife, no longer my mom. Now, you've been around a while. You know how much I love my mom, and I I miss her. She's in heaven. But that was a statement. That was a statement. So often... Something bad doesn't ruin a marriage, but it's actually something good that is in a higher priority than it should. God will be my one. My spouse will be my two. So I'm going to challenge you to protect the priorities. Protect. You have to protect the priorities. Now I'm going to get a little more specific, and some of you get, may get more uncomfortable, but it's good for you, and it's true men generally, generally place their job and career above their marriage. And they justify it, we, I've been guilty of that, justify it, well, I've got to provide. I'm being responsible. Okay, I'm not saying we, we can't work hard and we can't even strive to get a raise and promoted, all this sort of stuff. But men, if we're not careful, we will prioritize a good thing over our spouse I did that as a youth pastor in this church in the 90s the ministry was exploding anything I touched was working God was blessing and kids were coming baptized and we explode we had so many teenagers around here and I'm thankful that my wife asked me or made a statement with the right tone and the right tenor and the right timing on a Sunday night she goes honey I love what you're doing, and I love seeing God bless, but we are getting leftovers. I had no comeback, because she was right, and I had to make major uh, <laughs> re-altering of priorities. But men generally, we do that, okay? That's where we get our significant in what we do. Generally speaking, women prioritize their children above their spouse, and that nurturing and and all the time and all the investments, and, and it's a good thing, but a good thing out of priority can be a damaging thing. So here's a true but maybe uncomfortable statement to some of you is this, career and children are temporary assignments. Career and children are temporary assignments. I mean, we we change careers. More now than any culture or any generation, you know, in our country's history. And children, yes. Will we always be the parent? Yes, parenting is terminal. My mom taught me that. Parenting is terminal. But in our home, there is an expiration date, or there should be. If there are 40-year-olds in your basement, you have problems, all right? All right, Help help them with their wings. But a good thing is a career, and a good thing is children. But marriage is a lifetime commitment. Marriage is a lifetime commitment, and that's what a vow is. It's a commitment. It's a promise. Uh, Again, often, so often, something bad doesn't ruin a marriage. It's something good in a higher priority than it should. So protect. Protect your priorities. Now, I love this church. I love Grace Point. I've given 27 years of my 30-plus years of ministry to this church. I don't regret that. I love that. Thank you. Golf clap from four of you. That's awesome. (laughs) No. I love this church. Um, I've given everything I have as a youth pastor in the 90s and now um, as your lead pastor. I've given my heart, my soul, my mind, my blood, my sweat, my tears. But let me be very clear. My wife Candy is more important than Grace Church. It is. And you could, you could ask my staff who, who sees how I live and my priorities. She's more important. I was supposed to be back for the worship Sunday. We were both in Denver watching our grandkids. My wife needed me to stay, and I changed my flight. Without th- I didn't have to pray about it. she needed me. It was important. Why? Because God's my one, and my wife's my two. Candy is more important than my three precious daughters. And we began this process when they were small, when they were ankle biters. Remember Ashley, our firstborn? I, I would tell her every day, Ashley. Daddy loves you. And I thought, okay, I need to say more than that. So I said, honey, uh, you know that daddy loves you like a kazillion. And she looked at me, and she goes, well, I love you a kazillion. And I'm like, i got to beat that. And I said, but I loved you first. And she went, she had nothing. So every night I say, honey, before she went to bed, just want you to know daddy loves you a kazillion. I love you a kazillion. I love you first. And then God brought us Holly. And I'm like, okay, i got to say it a little bit different. So I would say, I love you, Ashley, this way. And Holly came along, and I'm like, oh, man, what do I do? How, how do you beat Kazillion? All right? And I'm like, Holly, Daddy loves you. And it just came out. Goobs, gobs, and sniggles, and wiggles. And so we had this thing every night. I love you, goobs. And then she would say gobs. I would say sniggles. And she would say wiggles. Even when she's in college, I would text her that. Or I would abbreviate it. By the way, I just want to remind you that your dad loves you, you know, G, G, S, W. right? Did I get that right? Yeah, and she, she's in college. Even when she was married, now it's not as often, but I would, I would tell her that. And then God gave us Kaylee. And I, okay, I'm out of big words, so then I just say, "Little girl, Kaylee, girl, Dad loves you a whole lot, baby," because she was our baby. So we would say that, so that and even as she's gotten older, left the house, I would text that now and then. But if you would ask my daughters when they were still at home, and even as teenagers. And you ask them today, how much does your dad love your mom? Every single one of them would say, more than all of us. Because one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your kids that actually provides security is you invest in your marriage. That they know growing up that my parents' marriage is the number one relationship in this home. God is my one and my spouse is my too. Now men, we are hardwired hardwired to die for those who we love. I mean, it's like something gets in, in, in front of our, our wife or our kids, and we'll put our life on the line, okay? That, that's what we got hard hardwired men. I mean, there's you're sound asleep, there's a bump in the night, you jump up in your tidy whities and you become an ninja turtle warrior, okay? <laughs> Okay, because something is maybe harming my family. Okay, God has hardwired us to die for those we love. But let me just remind us men that God has called us to live for those who we love. If we just say, I just got to provide, I just got to provide, I just got to provide. You may provide for them, but not really love them and invest in them. So in Ephesians, starting with your spouse, men... This is how you live and die at the same time. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives. Here's the example. Just as Christ loved the church, and let's get specific, how did he love his church? And he gave himself up for her. He died for her, he sacrificed for her. Men, that's our standard. That's our bar. That's our bar. So you. You love your wife, you give, you serve, you bless. How can I be a blessing? You date, you you pursue, I mean, you, you keep loving your wife. Now, if you're lazy, you'll come up with excuses. That's what lazy people do. They come up with excuses. But if you love, you find a way. You find a way with your schedule, even, with your, even in the military, and you're out and here, in and out. When you're at home, you are prioritizing, God is my one, my wife is my two, and I want her to know it and feel it. They have to have both, by the way, men. Know it and feel it, that they are loved. An example is Christ who gave himself up for her. So let me give you a challenge. I've done this, uh, I think, a couple years ago, marriage challenge for anybody who's married, if and if you've been married for decades. Here's your challenge. It's a 30-day prayer challenge that you and your spouse will grab hands or hold hands and pray together. Pray together. But I don't know how to pray. If you know how to talk, you can pray. That's all prayer is. It's talking to God. And I've given you some help. You pray, uh, thank you for and help us with. You should have a long list of thank you for, I have a house, thank you for my bride, thank you for this, thank you for that, thank you for this, thank you for that. And then you say, and help us with, help us with this, and help us with our kids, help us with finances, help us with health, health, thank you for, help us with. promise you for 30 days straight, if you're married, you take this prayer challenge, you're going to be pursuing God and you're going to get closer and closer together. Marriages that pray on a consistent basis, the divorce rate is two percent. There's power in praying together. I want to close with some heroes of mine in this church. Heroes of mine. One of my heroes is Carol Youngkay. And how she loved her husband Vern when he began to have dementia. And she loved him all through their marriage, but she modeled, she loved God first. God is her one, and Vern was her two. The last chapters of Vern's life were very painful, burdensome. Him falling, complications, anger that he had. She modeled this vow. God is my one, and Vern, you're my two. Another hero of mine in this church named Bob Craw. For decades, Bob was so in this church and leading and chairing our trustee board back in the day. I mean, and has this huge heart for God. But then when Sheila, her health began to change, after I just had come back, about a couple years after I came back, and he needed to take care of her. So he'd work in the shipyard all those hours and come home and love his wife. Prioritize her above himself. There came a point in time where the, he was no longer able to come to church because his wife needed him home. She could not leave the house. And then he he was going to retire at a certain age. He had actually had to retire earlier because Sheila needed him. And while we were in Denver, um, after 54 years of marriage, God took Sheila home. As soon as I get back, I call him. We talked on the phone. Comforted him, prayed with him. He's crying. Then he said this, I can't wait to come back to church. And last Sunday, I saw him between services. And I got my Bob Craw man hug. And he's going to have a service for his wife shortly, but he modeled God was his one and Sheila was his two. My last hero of this church, I was a youth pastor in the 90s, and there's a guy named Jay Hendrick. And his wife, Carol. They, they did so much in this church for decades. And then when. I you know, they were well retired, and when I came, they were the church custodian. Carol was the two-year-old teacher in Sunday school for decades. All three of my daughters went to Miss Carol's two-year-old class. But a few years after I came back in 05, she began to have dementia. And so they had to back off of what they used to do and serve. They just loved her. I remember going to his house because he had to make that very painful decision to put her into a home. And he cried. I was in his little kitchen. He cried, what am I going to do without her here? But it was unsafe for her and for him, for her to live there. So for years, he would go visit her every day. Then there came a point where Carol no longer remembered him. He was a complete stranger to her, but he kept going. He kept visiting. I remember just as a a husband, as a man, I was like, Jay, how how do you do it? How do you you bear that, that pain and that hurt? She doesn't even know who you are. And I'll never forget what he said. With tears streaming down his eyes, he looked down at me and he said, Barry, I made a vow to her. And that's what I did. I'll never forget that. God was his one, Kara was his two. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would take your your institution of marriage and the truth and the examples of your word of Jesus being the one and our spouse or two and I pray that you would penetrate hearts in preparation for marriage but also for the hearts that there's fractures and there's, it's a broken marriage pray that they would choose to start over again with the right priorities. I pray for marriages that uh, their, their career is taking off and they're getting busier and busier and they're spending less and less time. They, I pray that they would reevaluate their priorities. Still serve and their, their job and give their best as unto the Lord, as scripture says, but that their spouse would be too. I pray for the, for the moms that their kids are everything to her. In so many ways, that's good, but I pray that she would have the right priorities and that you would develop or realign marriages that are life-giving and God-honoring in a healthy marriage. Use this series to change homes. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.